My title today is Lord of the Breakthrough. Lord of the Breakthrough. It is a specific title and name that one of the heroes of the Bible, a great person um, named David. I'm going to be talking around David's life for a few weeks. All kinds of really powerful principles. Before I open the word, let me share something. Humor has heard about this elderly lady who was shopping and she came with her bags, uh, exiting the mall into her car, and she realized, to her horror, she had locked her keys in the car. She put down her bags, and she lifted her head to heaven, Lord, please help me. Well, she barely finished praying, and a man drove up on a motorcycle. He was a rough-looking guy, covered in leather and tattoos and a skull cap, and he said, can I help you? Ma'am, she said, yeah, I've locked my keys in the car. And he, he walked over to the window, and 45 seconds later, he had opened it and, gave, and let her into her car. And she said, Lord, thank you for sending this very kind man to help me. And the guy said, kind ma'am, ma'am, I'm a felon. I just got out of prison for, for being a thief. And the woman lifted her hand, Lord, you even sent an expert to help me. Thank you. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter 5 is a great story that I want to draw some powerful truths from. Verse 17, now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David to be king over Israel, all of the Philistines went to search for David. And David heard of it, and David went down to the strongholds. The Philistines went up, David went down. And the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Rephaim simply means giants. David inquired of the Lord the most important sentence in this message today. Shall I go up against the Philistines and will you deliver them to my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up for without a doubt I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David went to Baal-perazim. And David defeated the Philistines there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of water. You know, when you try to punch through a wall, it's going to hurt your hand. But when you drop your hand through water, it just cuts right through it. You feel it, but there's not much resistance. Get ready for a season of remarkable favor where all the resistance is gone, and you're just going to drop into miracles with God. David called the name of that place Baal Perizim, which means Lord of the Breakthrough. Perizim means breakthrough. Baal means Lord. And the Philistines left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. These would be their gods, their idols carved out of gold and silver or precious gems. They left their wealth and their useless gods behind. But the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. They didn't stop. David inquired of the Lord again, and he, the Lord said, Do not go up, but circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. Then it shall be when you hear the sound of marching, 
in the top of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord had said. And he drove back the Philistines from Gabal as far as Gezer. Lord, thank you for your word that's living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Anoint your servant, your word, and your people today. Show the devil who's boss. Let revelation be rampant. Let freedom be the, the cry of the day. And we thank you for breakthroughs in every life that hears this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Just some simple points. Number one, David is freshly anointed king, something he had waited over a decade to happen. He's anointed and crowned king. Uh, and when that happens, the first thing that happened is that he's resisted. Point number one, the devil may have started it, but your God's going to finish it. When you are anointed, and by the way, every believer is anointing, you have an abiding anointing. It's called the Holy Spirit. The anointing would be the expression of his abilities, his character, his power, his gifts to your life. When you are anointed, you never have to go looking for the enemy. He will find you because he's afraid of the gift, grace, and glory you are carrying. So the devil... What the, the, they weren't afraid of Saul who had passed away because Saul was no longer anointed, but this new guy was anointed. And in the camp of the enemy, they came to pursue him at the beginning of his journey. couple more points. Unusually intense and unjust adversity is often a prophetic sign that you're about to have a kingdom breakthrough. The way I've said it for years is, Discouragement is often the greatest when breakthrough is the closest. It is the strategy of the enemy to try to destroy dreams and destinies at their beginnings before they become strong. That is a tactic of the enemy. It's important to understand that because some of you had unusually intense childhood trauma or difficulty. And it wasn't because God was not with you. It was because the devil was afraid of you. He tried to take you out. Some of you, the devil tried to kill in the womb or as a child, but God preserved your life. Some of you have gone through unusually intense circumstances. And you wonder, why, why is this furnace so hot? Why is this trial so difficult? It's because the devil has been afraid of what you carry, what you would do in your destiny following God in the future. Psalm 34 says this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. It is a promise for every believer. Now, as a young pastor, I have to admit, I never woke up and said, God, you said I'd have many afflictions, and I don't have many. And I'm standing on your word for many. All you got to do is live long enough and the afflictions come. And like we've read, if you're anointed and walking in destiny, they will come with an intensity that's not normal. But the Bible says this, when they come, that's, the devil may start the fight, God's going to finish it. Don't you dare quit before God writes a good ending to your story. So we are, we are called to be overcomers. So to overcome, it means we have to have something to, to overcome, a difficulty or a storm or a setback, whatever it may be. God helps us do that. Isaiah 59 says, 
for us as believers. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against him. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be vigilant, be sober, because your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring, lying, seeking whom he may devour. Next verse says, whom you must resist steadfast in the faith. The devil's on the prowl. He's a wicked being. His army is wicked, and they hate righteous people, and they hate the destiny you're carrying. But if you walk with God, you're going to walk in the victory and breakthrough if you don't quit. 1 Peter 4 says this. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's so important because often we draw, we draw a linear line between a person's life experience and who they are. Oh, they must be a bad person because they're going through a bad thing, but that's not true. Often adversity is a sign of impending breakthrough and destiny. And never misinterpret adversity as God's opposition to your life and destiny. It's simply a sign we live in a broken world. People, so when you're talking to an atheist, agnostic, a non-believer, and someone, and they'll always kind of throw in your face, well, if your God's so good, and if he's so loving, how come children are dying in Bangladesh? And what about wars? And what about diseases? And what about injustice? And I, and I simply say, this world as it is today is not the same world God created. He created a perfect, sinless world. And when man sinned, we, we broke the earth. The universe was broken. And it, it remained broken, irreparably broken, until a Savior came. And he broke the curse off of us. He broke the effect of that fall from us. He redeemed us from our sinful nature and our sinful destiny. And he called us to his kingdom. And so if it's good on this earth, it's God. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come as you might have life. Never blame God for what the devil's doing. The poor devil in most American churches, he sits there and thinks, everything's blamed on God. Oh, he said, how, how come I can't get any credit? The church acts like he disappeared because we're modern, westernized, intelligent, and educated. But there are more demonized and more oppressed people in America now than any time in our history. More people walking around under the painful influence of their adverse circumstances and their enemy, the, the devil. So we don't want to misinterpret life. There's nothing straight. Well, you may be a little strange, but it's not because you're going through a strange thing. Don't, don't look at someone and think, well, they must deserve what they're going through. Job's friends could not, they could not come to the conclusion that he didn't deserve what he was going through. And they got rebuked at the end of the book. Point number two, the return and resurgence of giants. The Philistines gathered in the valley of Rephaim, a place of strategic importance to them in a place of historical victory. So they went to their comfort zone. So a giant, you know, the, you know in the Bible there, there were actual giants. Goliath was, you know, 10, 11 feet tall, that kind of thing. But as we look at giants, let us say in this moment, giants have come back to the earth. And giants to us are simply spiritual strongholds that govern and oppress people and take them away from God's will. So spiritual dynamics 
that oppress people, that hurt people, that deceive people. These strongholds, the Bible calls them. So we've watched the resurgence of strongholds, people believing all kinds of things. And those things aren't healthy, they're not godly, they're not good, and they're destructive. And so people that don't know God can't defeat the giant that's controlling them. But believers are anointed like King David of old to be giant slayers. Now, I want to say this to you. You're alive right now in the sovereign providence of an omniscient God who chose you to be alive now. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe I was supposed to be born on February 5th, 1958 in Marshalltown, Iowa, that I would be alive in Phoenix, Arizona on this state because I'm anointed to kill the giants and the lamb. And so we're not, it is impossible in this moment to, to avoid or to deny some of the things that are happening. Okay, Ephesians 6 says this in verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Always remind, we're coming to an election season, always such an exciting time for America. So many, so I have so many thoughts about that, but I want to preach the Bible and not get my wife mad at me. We wrestle not against politicians and against people here, people there, people doing evil things. But we do wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the spiritual beings in heavenly places, the rulers of darkness of this world, strongholds of demonic power, so governing the atmosphere of the earth are all these principalities, and the church is called to set people free from these demonic entities. Now, the way you defeat a, a, a devil in a nation is to defeat the devil in your home. And if you can whoop your home devil, you can whoop the devil in a nation. Come on. The strongest devil you'll ever face was the one that's has a generational connection to you in your family lineage. And if you can beat that generational curse, you can break every other curse. The giant that is rising up and roaring against you, my friend, is awakening the David, the giant slaying anointing that's inside of you. Giants can't be ignored or avoided. We either defeat them or are defeated by them. Ultimately, our lives are defined by the size and the strength of the giants we conquer or are conquered by. David comes home, he killed Goliath, he defeated the Philistines in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. And the Bible says the women of Israel with tambourines were joyously singing. Saul killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul was upset. Why are they singing that? Because it was an accurate description of their lives. David conquered the giant that Saul ran from. And they sang his song, so giants, adversity. You know, in business, let's, let's say in business. In business, we pay people for the size of the problems they solve. The bigger the problem, usually the bigger the recompense. At least it used to work like that. So in the kingdom of God, it works exactly like that. That we are called, I'm talking today, the giant slayers. I'm talking to overcomers. I'm talking the last day church, bride of Christ, Bible believing, devil stomping, Holy Ghost living people. I'm talking to people that are called to change the world. 
Point number three. David never lost a battle because he never participated in a fight God was not already in. So the Philistines come. Where did David go? He went down to the prayer room. And he asked the Lord, Lord, is this a fight I'm supposed to be in? And if I get into it, am I going to win? <laughs> I like the second question. Lord, yeah, yeah, I appreciate the yes of the first one, but is it going to end good? Yes, yes. And so the reason why David never lost a battle is because he prayed before he acted. Can I have an amen from this Southern Baptist congregation? <laughs> Not every fight is your fight. Have you met someone that's they're just passionate about this? Oh, gosh, you got to get involved in this. I'm so passionate. Well, your passion may not be my purpose. You go for what you burn for and let me go for what I burn for. Because the Holy Spirit will direct me. But if I do what you're called to do, I don't have the same grace to do it as you do. And I'll burn out and I'll flame out and I'll, it won't work for me. So not every fight, not every cause is your cause. I love talking to people filled with the cause. I can't believe the church isn't behind me. Wait, well, a portion of the church is. Just not everybody has the same passion for your cause. It doesn't mean we're bad Christians. It just means you're called to do it. So here's the way I pastor. People go, Pastor, why aren't we doing this in the city? We've been waiting for you to show up. Thank you. You are now in charge of that ministry. Go for it. We're with you. It's not that we haven't wanted to do it, but we haven't had the personnel, the ability, or really maybe the internal passion. If you do, you go for it. Pray about it before you participate in it. Presumption is when I act without prayer. When I assume God's will about a circumstance and don't pray about it. Some of my biggest mistakes is when I just assumed God was in it. See, see, the thing is, it can look really good, but end up being really bad. And then you have to go through the whole cycle of, oh, man, I should have prayed about this thing. Come on, all you single people. Come on, you're flipping through the, oh, she looks perfect. Well, I, I know she does on, this, on the computer screen. Ladies, oh, this guy would be perfect. He, he, he may be perfect, but pray about it first. Because you can't see what God sees. And if you don't pray about it, you'll end up regretting doing it almost every time. Prayer makes it God's fight. When God gives you a word, he's giving you a 200 sword to bring a kingdom victory and breakthrough. Psalm 149 says this, let the high praises of God be in their mouth, a two-edged sword in their hand. To execute vengeance upon the nations, punishment on the people, to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment, this honor has all the saints. Praise the Lord. What does that mean? What, 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 so, so, so to take that idea of a two-edged sword, in the Greek, the word for two-edged sword is di, which means two, and stomos, which means mouths. It, that word jumped out to me years ago because I realized when God speaks to me from the word of God, the scriptures, or through a prophetic encounter, he's giving me half of the sword of the spirit, half of the two-edged sword. But it's not 
a useful weapon until I add my voice to God's voice. And when I say what I hear, I'll see what I say. It becomes a weapon. So you have to, I remember when I was praying for my son years ago, the Lord rebuked me and said, stop praying the problem, start praying the promise. Paul told Timothy, I charge you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies that you've received, to do warfare by them. Your prophecy is not just a good five-minute inspiration. It is your weapon. It is your... Bill Hammond prophesied to me in 1986, 87. He said, oh, you're going to write two books. I'm on the stage of Church of California thousand people there, I started giggling out loud. And uh, I wasn't, people are thinking, oh, he's so happy. No, I was so, un, I was in unbelief. I said, I'm not a writer. I don't have the attention span. The last person I wrote was Mary when I was in seminary. I wrote her every day because the phone company took the phone out of my apartment. Something about a $400 bill. <laughs> and so I left, and I came home in the church, and God stopped talking to me. And I said, Lord, have I done something? And the Lord said, why should I give you a new word when you rejected the last word? And the Lord said, I don't tell you things that you know or are doing. I tell you things that are hidden in you that I want to do. And when, you, when I give you a word, I need you to respond by faith. And so I started walking around my church saying, I'm the writer of books. Books are in me. My pen is... my." Like David said, my hand is the hand of a ready writer. And then God downloaded books. This right now, by next year, I'll be writing my 20th book. I'd written no books, and books came. The first book, The Joshua Generation, came by a sovereign encounter with God. All these things happened. So God gave me those books. Listen to me. When I went to war with my prophecy... So I can't tell you how many... Testimonies I have from around the world, people that received a prophecy, I gave a prophecy, and they went to war with that prophecy, declaring it, and something good happened because of it. So it's important that we employ our faith, our voice. Point number four. Our God is the Lord of the breakthrough. David said, man, oh man, this fight was so much easier than I thought it'd be. They just melted away from us. Our, our victory was so triumphant. It was, it, there was such a fluid, beautiful transition to, from, from adversity to testimony. And David said, man, oh man, God's the God of the breakthrough. Now, for God to be, God is always the God of the breakthrough. He just needs you to be the child of the breakthrough. He needs you to be a believer with the breakthrough spirit. So David broke through because he acted. Remember, the Lord said to him the second time, the Philistines came back, and David could have easily assumed, okay, let's go fight him. And God said, no, don't. Circle around behind them. And they wait in the forest. And when the top of the mulberry trees start singing, it's because an angelic army has gone before you. Follow that wind. And David obeyed God to the detail of that instruction and had another great victory. In fact, this victory was an ultimate victory. So God gives us 
The problem with religion, it keeps using old words for new battles. Well, in 1908, God spoke to us to do this. Well, it ain't 1908. And God may speak that same word again, but we have to seek him until we get a freshness of an encounter. Until, you see, the whole Bible, the Bible by itself is called the Logos. It is the written word of God, the thoughts of God, the instructions of God, the heart of God given to mankind in the 66th book of the Bible. But one of the other words for the word word is rhema. And rhema means a spoken word. And the simple way we define it is that when I read the Logos... It comes alive and God speaks to me a rhema word, something that lives. And when I have that rhema word, it's a weapon to change my world. When I stand out in faith, when I believe it, when I act according to it, if there's action associated with it, then amazing things happen. So when we do that, oh my, my, your testimony is about to get radical. Stop begging God for a breakthrough when he's already given you a breakthrough word. Stand on your word and tell the devil to get the hell out of your world. I'm standing on this word. I'm sorry, Sister Ruth. The Bible says this about breakthroughs in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, hey... Here's what I'm doing. Upon this rock, the rock of the revelation of Christ as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church. Now he's not done with the thought, with the process, with the kingdom truth. And he says this, and I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so Jesus said the church advances The kingdom of God advances in the earth when the church uses its keys. And these keys are the revelation of God's kingdom given to us. Get out your keychain and put them to work. Stop asking God to open doors. God already gave you a key to open. Now he'll open, see, Lord, the breakthrough. He gave you a breakthrough word. Apply it and God will break through through the word he gave you. That's a part of the process of how God works and what God does. I've got a couple, couple of things in closing. In, Luke, in one of the greatest books of the Bible uh, that I love, I, I love comeback stories. I've lived one, and I'm so grateful for God, who's the God of the comeback, okay? Uh, that's my book. In chapter 4 the book of Ruth, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, her whole life has been rebuilt, restored, because Ruth married a a, a man named Boaz, a wealthy, godly bachelor, and they're having a, a child named Obed who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David, okay, who had a grandson named Jesus. So crazy things happening. And the women surround Naomi, whose heart was so broken, when she came back home from losing her husband and two sons, she felt like her life was over. She said, stop calling me Naomi, which means pleasant one. Call me Mara, which means bitter one. I went out full and I've come home empty. But she made a wrong conclusion about her life because her story wasn't over. And the women surrounded her 
and now everything has changed. And, and they prophesied to her, and they said, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Perez means breakthrough. May your house be the house of breakthrough. I'm prophesying to you because your house, my friend, is supposed to be a breakthrough house. She lost everything. And yet, she ended in breakthrough. I don't know how God will do it. God's pretty smart. He's got a lot of ways to doing stuff. I just know if you give him the chance, he'll write an amazing comeback story. Last story is in Mark 2. Jesus is preaching John Mark's house, and his, the house is so full, people are hanging out the windows. You can't get in. Four guys show up, and they, they're carrying their friend who is paralyzed on a cot. And there was no way to get in. <clears throat> There's almost always a stumbling block on the journey to your miracle. It's not there to stop you. It's there to test the level of your determination. I mean, I had a, a, a big... A big church advisor come when, when we were on 19th Avenue 15 years ago or so, and he came, he's, he's studying all the things we're doing in church, and he came in my office, he's panicking. He said, oh my gosh, what, I said, what's wrong? He said, I just counted like 30 cars that came in the parking lot, could, couldn't find a parking space, and left. And he, he said, what are you going to do about it? I said, nothing. We've got, we've got neighborhoods like a block away. If you can't walk a block for Jesus, go to someone else's church. Too, too harsh? And, and he sat there, his, 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 his church growth mind just bloop. Never heard that before. Yeah, man, you can't walk a few hundred feet for Jesus. I mean, they'd walk 10 miles for a Cardinals game. They'd walk miles for their favorite concert. They'd walk forever, walking through Europe, 10,000 steps a day, like we did every day. Yeah, yeah. And without, but they, but they can't walk 50 steps for, sorry. Uh, di didn't end up using that guy. They come to the house and the house is full. Instead of quitting, the Bible says they climbed up on the roof and carried that man up on the roof. Must have been kind of an exciting little process. And then they tore the thatched roof open. Jesus is downstairs preaching. He's preaching. I can imagine pieces of straw start coming down. All of a sudden, sunlight. I, I always picture Christ just stopping. And then they lower the guy down. And, and, and Jesus, the Bible says, when he saw their faith... What did their faith do? Break through. Come on. God is always the God of the breakthrough. He's just looking for some partners who are the people of the breakthrough. You must not consign this generation the outcomes, the ownership, and the ultimate results to the devil. I believe the greatest move of God in human history is beginning. I believe America will have a third great awakening. I believe Phoenix will be saved. I believe your family will be saved. 
I believe God saves the best for last. Yes, I know the devil's on a rampage. I know war is broken out. I know all kinds of evil. But I know simultaneously breakthroughs are happening everywhere God can find breakthrough-minded people who pray until something happens, who stand in faith until something happens, who prophesy God's word until something happens, who say what they hear until they see what they say, who refuse to give up, who refuse to give the devil their family. I don't care how goofy your kids get or grandkids get or your spouse, your siblings don't stop standing. You're the breakthrough person. You're the breakthrough anointed son and daughter of God. And the Lord of the breakthrough says, can I find someone in this generation that will allow me to be who I am? Just believe me. Trust me. And I'll break through in your world. Come on, someone give God a shout of praise this morning. Lord, we thank you. You are the Lord of the breakthrough. There's literally nothing too hard for you. That's what Jeremiah says. There is, as you said, all things are possible with God. And then you turned it on us and said, all things are possible to him that believes. Lord, we believe it's breakthrough time. I'm sorry that your business is down, but it's breakthrough time. Don't give up. I'm sorry for what's happened with your family, but don't give up. It's breakthrough time. I got a word for you. It's breakthrough time. I got a word for you. You're called to kill this giant. I got a word for you. God's turning this thing around. I got a word for you. It's testimony time. I got a word for you. God's raised up a standard. He's putting the devil to flee. He's making the devil release and, and remove his influence. I got a word for you. The best is yet to come. Prayer team, please join me down front. Come on, lift your hands to heaven, everybody. Pastor Moises, help me. I want to sing the chorus, I am a friend of God today. Because I want to give the devil 18,000 black eyes. You're going to help me. There is, listen, there's no ambiguity. There's no uncertainty. There's no confusion in God's mind. He wants you to break through. And he's ready for it to happen now. I am a friend of God. Come on, sing with me. I am a friend of God. Simple chorus. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Come on, you say it. You sing it. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend. Lift your hands to heaven, sing with me. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. That's who I am. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. I'm excited. Tonight, I'll be seeing Israel, who's in town just for tonight. The reunion tour with Kirk Franklin. I'll be sitting in the front row, cheering on our former worship pastor, Israel, who wrote that song. I don't know what you've been through. I'm sorry if it's been hurtful. But man, oh man, I'm excited about your future. Because God is about to blow your mind. Hey, as we close this service, we always 
We believe prayer is a part of the process of our breakthrough. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never received from Jesus the saving grace that forgives your sins, that, that gives you righteousness, that restores you to God, today's your day. If you don't know if you're saved, if you don't know what it, that means, ma'am, please let us talk to you and pray with you. We'd, we'd be so honored. The highlight of the service would be that. If you've been away from God, let's give the devil some black eyes today, okay? Make today a turning point day. If you see a pastor, man, that word touched me. I'm ready for a breakthrough. I've been going through all kinds of really difficult things. I need someone to declare and pray and prophesy faith to me. Then you come forward, let someone pray for you. If you need prayer for those or any reason, please join us down front. The rest of you keep worshiping God for just 60 seconds longer as those seeking prayer come forward. humbled and honored to serve here. Stay here as long as you want. We're going to keep praying for the next many minutes for those that need prayer. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. God bless you, veterans. God bless all of you. I am a friend of